0: Thank you so much for watching. I'm Dr. Childs, and today we're going to talk about a case study of a patient who just uh, emailed me a couple days ago, um, and this is a patient who was able to lose uh, 40 pounds um, with the combination of Ictosa and some other things, including low-dose naltrexone. And I wanna walk you through exactly what we did in this patient, um, how she was able to lose this significant amount of weight um, in about three months time, by the way, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, and I want to show you how you can do this as well. So, a couple things uh, before we start. I do want to point out that this is a real patient. Um, she's a patient of mine. And I've been working with her for several months. So that's number one. Um, number two is that this these results are specific to this patient, and they may not work for you. But uh, but so I say that because I don't. I want you to use this information as a guide, not necessarily as a way that you need to be treated. But just use this, hopefully you can still find it helpful um, with that in mind. Okay, so let's, let's jump in. Oh, I should also point out that this patient did have hypothyroidism, so this is one of the, the hypothyroid patient success stories that I, I create um, and talk about. And I'll talk to you about her thyroid. We'll go over her thyroid studies, all of her hormones, et cetera. Um, but I do want to focus, with, uh, focus on Victoza as we discuss this. So this is the email that I received from her uh, just recently here. Um, she says, I have good news. I'm down almost 40 pounds since August. You are a miracle worker. And then the rest is about kind of B12 and specific to her. So I'm not going to read that, but feel free to read it. Um, you can kind of look over this. Um, and so I, I want to start by saying, I want to explain a little bit about Victoza because many of you might be wondering, well, what is Victoza? Uh, why do I care? Does it work? Et cetera. And Victoza is a class of medication. So, first of all, it's a prescription medication, and it's FDA approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. Now, this patient did, did not have type 2 diabetes, okay, um, and there are some very specific uses for Victoza in patients who don't have type 2 diabetes, but who have insulin resistance, and leptin resistance, and metabolic damage, which this patient did have, okay? Um, but, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, so just kind of put that in the back of your head. The point is, I just want to explain what it is. So again, it's a prescription medication, FDA approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, and it targets the GLP-1 receptor. GLP stands for glucagon, glucagon-like glucagon peptide 1, and that's kind of the receptor that it um, is an agonist towards. So if you don't know already, glucagon is a hormone which is the exact opposite of that of insulin. So insulin lowers blood sugar by taking calories and glucose and shoving it into fat cells and other places in your body, whereas glucagon does the exact opposite. It actually increases um, blood sugar. This is important because many of you with insulin resistance, right? And I should point out that both hormones come from the pancreas, okay? So if you have pancreatic or fatty pancreas or pancreatic issues, and you have insulin resistance, there's a very high chance you also have um, glucagon dysregulation. So that tends to be ignored by a lot of um, uh, providers and doctors and patients even. Uh, they, they're just not aware of it or for whatever reason, they're just uh, not familiar with it. But the, the point is that's that's kind of how this medication works. And it can be very effective if used correctly. So I'm going to go through all the studies here that I've uh, kind of discussed or at least reference in referenced um, in this discussion that we're going to have. So if you... You want to look at those, you can go to this blog post and it has a link to all the references. But these are, um, um, they're all there if you want to look them up. So basically, um, you can go through and, and the question is, does it work? Absolutely, it does in certain patients. And this is, here's an example right in front of you. So it talks about the efficacy of liraglutide, which is Victoza, it's just the other name, um, for weight loss among patients with type 2 diabetes. And of course, it shows that um, you can lose uh, weight with this medication without the addition of, of anything else. However, and what we're going to talk about today is if you combine hormonal therapy if you combine hormonal therapy plus the glp1 agonist plus nutritional changes plus lifetime sh- lifestyle changes plus dietary changes now we're talking that's how you get really great results okay and more than just the five to ten pounds you would get maybe you would i should say maybe you would get if you took Victoza in isolation so let's talk about this case study let's talk about her labs and we'll go over everything else so to start with and i want you to just kind of make a mental um, checklist in your mind and think to yourself, do I relate to any of these um, symptoms and, and w- the, the characteristics of this patient? Okay, so just kind of think to yourself. And, and I chose this this case study because as you'll see, it actually, has actually quite a, a, a complex medical history as it relates to weight loss and, and some other things. So first of all, she had a history of hypothyroidism. And like many of you, it was, she had no idea it was diagnosed or she had no idea it was Hashimoto's until You know, some 5 to 10 years down the line, she was finally adamant about checking the antibody levels. And, of course, they come back elevated and they say, oh, yeah, well, you actually, guess what? You probably have had Hashimoto's Hashimoto's for the last 5 to 10 years. But she also was symptomatic despite being treated with thyroid hormone. And actually, this is a case of a patient who um, was, you know, had a lot of excess weight to lose, but was being treated with natural desiccated thyroid already before even coming to see me. And so we'll, we'll talk about how we kind of adjusted that. Um, But the point is, being undertreated, symptomatic, um, history of hypothyroidism, history of Hashimoto's, and already on T4, T3 medication. She had the inability to lose weight um, despite eating very healthy and exercising regularly like many of you, um, and she had gained a considerable amount of weight after her pregnancy. So, obviously, there's some sort of hormonal imbalance. I mean, if I hear that right away or if that's happening to you, you know right away that hormones are contributing to that because hormones can become incredibly dysregulated as a result of pregnancy. And even can trigger, pregnancy itself can trigger, um, elevation and thyroid peroxidase and, and, um, thyroglobulin antibodies itself. Okay. She also had menstrual irregularities. Um, she had uh, issues with infertility throughout her life and even went through, um, IVF. She was able to conceive eventually, but, um, she, she went through all of these changes, which alter again, her hormones. Um, interestingly enough, she also failed lap band surgery. So this some sort of gastric bypass like surgery. Um, she was able to lose down to 180 pounds, um, but then gained it back over time. So, uh, you know, the, some issues there. And then, of course, she she had other hypothyroid symptoms, fatigue, insomnia, mood irregularities, menstrual irregularities, weight gain, etc. You know, those are kind of just par for the course whenever you have hypothyroidism. But what I want to focus on here is this is a patient who is pretty complex, right? She had gone through gastric sur- bypass surgery, which I would consider to be kind of the conventional medicine's um, trump card or or ace up their sleeve as it, re- as it relates to weight loss. So no matter what you do, that's kind of like medicine's fallback plan. Well, if this doesn't work, or this doesn't work, or this doesn't work, guess what? You can always, you know, have your stomach taken out or stapled to a tiny, tiny size or rearrange the anatomy of your gastrointestinal tract and force yourself to not eat, and then we'll, we'll hopefully you'll lose weight. But guess what? A lot of patients actually gain weight afterwards, and she's one of those. So we're not talking about a relatively straightforward, easy case here. Now, you may think to yourself, well, my history is not as complex and yet I solve these problems. That's actually really good news for you. That means it's probably going to be easier to treat you. Um, But just know that if your history is as complex as this or maybe even more complex, there is still um, hope for you. So so don't don't think that there isn't. All right. So the next step is, now that we kind of established what it is that she was dealing with, let's talk about her comprehensive um, and lab review here. And this is always the first place to get started. This is why I bring this up. You really need to. You really need to make sure you're going to someone who, who will look beyond just the numbers. Okay, and it's it's easy to say but hard to find. All right, and beyond that, they also need to be have have some understanding of how hormone relate or how hormones relate to weight gain and weight loss because there's the intricacies involved. There can be a little bit complex, um, but you really need to have someone who understands all of these things together to put your picture together so you can actually lose weight. So let's talk about hers. Um, and right here, you know, I talk about properly evaluating insulin and blood sugar levels. This is a patient who has a fasting insulin, 12-hour fasting insulin of 9. You can see the range here is 3 to 28. Now, fasting insulin greater than 5 is an issue. You should not have insulin elevation uh, or your insulin should not be greater than 5 in the fasting state. Why? Because insulin is ele- it elevates in response to um, certain stimuli. And the most common stimulus obviously is food, but it does that because your body takes whatever's left over after you've used um, the glucose for, you know, the current energy needs of the body and then stores it for later in fat tissue. So you can have it when you want to access it. Now, the problem is when you have elevation of, of insulin in the fasted state, that's sending the signal of grow your fat cells to your body at all times. And that's not what you want, right? This is how some patients can, um, they can gain weight, even by eating calorie restricted dieting. You're going to say, well, it ah, doesn't make any sense. Well, it sure it does because hormones are the ones that kind of uh, manipulate the environment of your body and where energy goes inside your body. You can still be starving, but get, get gaining weight and getting fatter in the process. So that's a big deal. Right away, insulin, I know she has some degree of insulin resistance, but look at this. So that's number one, insulin resistance. Number two, we have to properly about her thyroid function. So you can see here, her TSH is 7.024, right? Who cares about the rest of it? Anything greater than two is an issue, and in this case, obviously, she's out of the out of the reference range. So it doesn't take, it doesn't, ta- I mean, even a general, even a general, uh, you know, somebody who doesn't specialize in thyroid function or anything like that can look at this and say, okay, well, that's abnormal, right? This is hypothyroidism kind of, um, in the most basic sense. So, um, yeah, she might, okay, some, some providers may say this is subclinical hypothyroidism. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't treat her, but the majority, I think, would, would definitely treat her. So, insulin resistance, hypothyroidism right away. Um, but let's go over the rest of the labs just to give you an idea of what I'm looking for. Now, despite the fact that her TSH was seven, her free T3 is still 2.3 with a range of 1.7 to 3.7. So, yes, it's on the low range and, and it is low by, by whatever standard you look at. But it's still kind of relatively preserved despite the fact that her pituitary isn't receiving enough, um, uh, enough thyroid hormone. So, which is kind of interesting, right? It just kind of plays to the fact that these tests aren't exactly as accurate as we like to believe. Now, also, but if you, look, if you took it one step further and look at her free T4, her value is 0.7 with a range of 0.7 to 1.9. I mean, she's basically the lowest you can be by, by still falling in that kind of normal range. So, obviously, that's another issue here. Um, so obviously your thyroid is not functioning properly. The next thing I, I want to point out here is her testosterone. Her free testosterone is 0.14 with a range of 0. Or 0.06 to 0.98. That's very low. And then her total testosterone is 8.5 um, with a range of 8 to 60. Again, very, very low. So she has a uh, low testosterone in the process. Um, and then we need to look at her uh, inflammation and autoimmunity markers. So generally these May or may not be checked by your provider, but they are very, very important. So in this case, her TPO antibodies were through the roof, right? Um, which is an indication that, and we knew that she had a history of Hashimoto, so we're not necessarily surprised. However, this is interesting. Her ESR, which is a nonspecific marker of inflammation, in her is 28. So what this tells me is that she has an autoimmune component with some degree of nonspecific inflammation in her body. Okay, which is which is pretty interesting. So how do we kind of how do we kind of put this together? Well. Number one, she has insulin resistance as evidenced by her high fasting insulin. She obviously has hypothyroidism, no question, with some autoimmune component as evidenced by her thyroid labs. She has low testosterone as evidenced by her low testosterone levels. And she has what I would describe as definitely some autoimmunity with active inflammation. And that's as evidenced by her her erythrocyte sedimentation rate, ESR, and the TPO antibodies. So how do these things all kind of fit together? Well, in, in this case, it's actually pretty straightforward. Some, sometimes it's a little more complex, but let me kind of paint a picture here. So how everything kind of relates to one another. When you go into um, a general doctor's office, you might get partial treatment. It's not uncommon for someone to come to me and say, okay, well, I got put on testosterone. I'm like, oh, great. You got one of you know, the five things wrong with you. But if you want to get the kind of results that this patient got or that this patient um, was able to uh, achieve, you need to address all of these Issues And so let me give an example of why how treating one thing won't necessarily help the others. So insulin resistance by itself can lead to low testosterone. And again links are, are to the studies that kind of prove these statements are, are found on the post if you'd like to. But anyway, insulin resistance leads to low testosterone. Hypothyroidism can lead to reduced insulin sensitivity. Okay, so hypothyroidism can cause reduce, um, can cause inc- increased uh, risk of developing insulin resistance which can cause low testosterone. Inflammation can cause decreased thyroid hormone conversion, and autoimmunity can worsen thyroid function. So you see, we kind of have this big circle of hormones affecting hormones, and the only way to kind of put the kibosh on that that cycle, that vicious cycle, is to treat everything. You can't just treat one and hope they kind of pick up, you know, the other things, pick up the slack, the hormones will pick up the slack of the others. It doesn't work that way. So she's got multiple issues. This is what's going on with her. So how do we treat her? Like, that's probably what you're most interested in. Okay, Well, so tell me. Well, Get, get on with it. How did you do it? Well, let, I'm, I'm going to go into a little more detail here, but basically um, for her thyroid, she was actually pretty straightforward in the sense that she just needed um, natural desiccated thyroid more than she was receiving. Um, so, uh, you know, or she actually, I don't believe, was on it um, in the beginning. So we put her on some T4-T3 combo, but she didn't actually end up needing more T3 in this case. Um, so we treated her with na- a form of natural desiccated thyroid called WP thyroid. Um, For her autoimmunity and um, inflammation, we put her on low-dose nutrexone. For her weight loss resistance and body scent point malfunction, which I didn't touch on. It's impossible for me to touch on everything here. um, LDN also helps with that. For her insulin resistance, we put her on Victoza, which is the GLP-1 agonist. And the um, kind of theme of this blog post here or this uh, video that I'm doing. Um, for her low testosterone, we put her on bioidentical and transdermal testosterone replacement. And then she actually had a number of nutrient deficiencies as a result of her gast- her, her lap band, right? Because you change the, the ability to absorb and the amount that you can eat, you're going to produce a uh, nutrient deficiency. So we had to replace all of these things. So she needed iron, vitamin B12. Both of those can come from hypothyroidism. Zinc, she needed melatonin for some, from issues with circadian rhythm dysregulation. Um, fish oil and curcumin for some inflammation. So the point is we were able to do Um, A lot of good work with this kind of treatment plan. But as you can see, we address each and every one of those things. We don't just address one. You know, if you took these problems to a provider and they said, oh, I know what to do. Let's put you on some testosterone. You are not going to get significant results, okay? You need to address all of these things. That's why I harp and harp and harp on all of these things. Okay, so a couple things that I want to point out um, as we talk about this. Because I've actually had a couple instances where patients have taken these case studies to their providers. um, Their doctors say, I want this treatment. It doesn't work like that, guys. Each one of you is is unique. Um, you have your own issues. Even if you have similar lab values, I I can have multiple patients who who share similar lab values, but I have tweaked things specific to them. So it doesn't work the the way that you might think. Well, if she has high insulin, I need this, and it worked for her, so I'm going to get this. It Doesn't work that way, okay? Um, in order to get these kind of results that I'm talking about, you need to talk about. You need to address all of these issues. It's very common for a doctor to even name or put the blame on conditions, but would not even really treat them. Okay, so that's number two. Um, number three, if you wanna get these kind of results, you have to see somebody that focuses on these hormones that I'm talking about here, who understands these things. If you take this kind of information to your endocrinologist or your primary care, I can almost guarantee you it's not gonna work. Um, I'm just being honest with you guys. It, it, they just, there's, there's a standard of care that has to be upheld um, for, for these providers and they just kind of practice the same way over and over again, so do, don't think that that's gonna work. I guarantee you it's gonna end in frustration for both, both parties there, so, so don't kind of do that. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to focus on here uh, was that there's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess is what I'm trying to say here in this, this, this fourth um, thing to remember. Uh, you, you can get these kind of results with, with different types of medications or different types of hormones. Like, for instance, we could have used T3 in this patient, but I didn't for, for other reasons. Um, we could have used a different GLP-1 agonist, et cetera. So don't think this is the only way to do it. So I just want to kind of give you, give you that kind of in the back of your head. And then now I want to focus on, on Victoza a little bit more. Um, and I want to point out that just Victoza by itself will not lead to significant weight loss. Now, the benefit that, that it has is that it treats two of the three most common um, causes of weight loss resistance in many patients. So those three are, just so, we're, just so you're on the same page here, thyroid resistance, okay, uh, that's number one. Number two is insulin resistance. And number three is leptin resistance. So Victoza focuses on insulin and leptin resistance, and it does a really good job of treating those things. Now, just, you know, do a kind of mental check here and ask yourself, when was the last time my doctor ordered a fasting insulin? When was the last time my, my doctor ordered a fasting leptin? Well, I, you know, probably not recently if they did at all, because most doctors aren't conditioned to look for these things because they don't necessarily know how to treat them. So I want you to put that in the back of your head and realize that if you want to get these results, you need to see somebody who understands these concepts and, and these uh, how to treat these things. Okay. Right here, I go over how to check all of these things. So just this just is, you you can use this kind of as a brief guide to give you an idea um, as to whether or not you're getting the treatment that you want. So. For example, there's the, the, here are my recommendations for a full thyroid panel, for a full hormone panel, for leptin levels, insulin, sex hormones, adrenal status, nutrients, etc. And this is kind of what I would consider to be the basic starting point for most of you. right? if you have any of these similar symptoms, this is kind of where you need to start at just as kind of a basis. Um, so I do want to talk about a couple things here as well. So this is who else can benefit from using Victoza. Um, and I want to point out a couple things here. So we're going to talk about PCOS, leptin resistance, and then non-diabetics because this matters actually. So, Vixosa um, has some interesting studies, which is the GLP-1 agonist, obviously, in the setting of treating PCOS. So, what some of these studies, and you can see them linked here, but basically, um, it, what these studies have done, a couple of them, is they've taken patients who have failed traditional metformin therapy, right? metformin is another, um, another medication that's used to treat um, insulin resistance, and they've taken patients who failed metformin, and they put them on the GLP-1 agonist. Um, And those patients did very well. They actually had a a significant amount of weight loss as a result of that. And so it turns out that the combination of metformin and GLP-1 agonist in the setting of PCOS, in the absence of diabetes, right, in the absence of what it's FDA approved for, has significant benefit. Now, the interesting thing is, why does this work? Well, as you know, PCOS is really, um, on the spectrum, it's really a combination and series of hormone imbalances. And the hormone imbalances I go over here, but basically it results in high testosterone, which is usually free testosterone, normal to high DHEA levels, high estradiol levels, low progesterone levels, and then of course the high insulin. But what's interesting is as you treat, as patients with PCOS get treated with this medication, it reduces their their weight, which causes normalization of these other hormones. So obviously it's working through some other mechanism. Now, one of the proposed mechanisms that I've seen in some of the studies for this is its effect, Victoza's effects on leptin resistance. So let's say you don't have diabetes, you don't have um, you know, you don't have any issues with weight, you don't have PCOS, but you have ridiculously high leptin levels. Well, in that case, Victoza may be helpful for you as well. Why? Because it does two things. Number one, it helps sensitize the body to leptin at the cellular level. And number two, which is, which is important, number two, and this is probably the most important, it attenuates the increase of leptin levels that are seen after patients lose a significant amount of weight. So I may take some patient who, let's say 200 pounds, drop them 50 pounds, 150, but the body compensates for that by increasing the leptin levels, which puts the body in a state of gaining that weight back. Now, what I mean by attenuates that, Victoza attenuating that level is it says, okay, body, when we lose that weight and you drop those leptin levels, Victoza helps keep those leptin levels down, which means you keep the weight off. So huge benefit here in patients who have that. And then of course, Victoza for non-diabetics tons of studies. I'm not going to go over those right now, um, but you can read these links here. Yes, it can be used in non-diabetics, but it can also be used in diabetics. In fact, the patient you're looking at right now had a hemoglobin A1C less than 5 um, and didn't lose any weight until we, were, we put her on the Victoza. Now, the interesting thing is the way we diagnose diabetes has to do with the hemoglobin A1C, but patients can have issues with high fasting levels of insulin, but normal hemoglobin A1Cs. So, you know, I'm not going to get into that right now, but it, it can be basically you can be fool, uh, fooled into thinking you don't have insulin resistance if you only look at certain markers. Um, I go over the side effects here. The the most important that I want you to, to harp on here for a second is the fact that many patients get concerned that Victoza is going to cause pancreatic cancer or pancreatitis. Some early studies showed that, but more recent studies have shown that. That doesn't seem to be the case, especially when you look at the long-term use of the medication. Now, I would also take it one step further and say, if you use it the way that I'm recommending, um, if you actually only use it for a short period of time, once you reverse the insulin resistance, once you reverse the leptin resistance, once you reverse the hormone imbalances of PCOS, you know, provided you can maintain healthy lifestyle, it shouldn't come back. You know, so that's that's kind of the benefit of using this short-term therapy. So here's the final thoughts here um, for this case study. Um, just just some points to remember. First of all, I hope that you found it helpful and informative. Um, I really want to provide this information for you guys so that you have an idea of that. First of all, that there's hope for you, that you, you you know, that you, something out there can work. Like a lot of times patients are just frustrated. They're fed up. They just don't think anything will work. That's not the case. There are things that you can do. But I don't want you to take this information to your doctor necessarily and say, I want to be treated like this because that's, that's probably not going to work. It's not going to go over well for either of you guys. Remember, this patient is not you. Um, you're unique. You have your own issues. And unfortunately, I'm never able to provide all the specifics of this patient. I mean, I would have to talk with, I mean, I, I spend, you know, hours with these patients just trying to unravel the mysteries that, you know, that kind of exist within them. And so I can't go over this in a, in a brief 20 something minute um, video here or in a, in a blog post. So just realize there are more complexities that I can't even talk about. I don't even get to talk about all the treatment here. So I just want you to, to. Um, be aware of that. And then, of course, the third thing is many of these therapies that I reference either are being used off-label or require an understanding of how to use and titrate hormones. So, not every physician is trained with this. They they don't get this training in residency. They don't get this training um, unless they look for it and ask for it and do the research themselves. So, again, taking this to like a primary care endocrinologist probably will not work unless they've done this kind of studying on their own. So, I hope that you guys found this very helpful. Again, this was a, you know, this, this, i just prompted to do this because the patient sent me the email and I thought, well, maybe it'll be helpful for the rest of you guys out there. So if you have any questions or you want to see um, the studies that I've referenced in here, go to the blog post or I'll leave a couple um, below um, either in the podcast or, or the YouTube kind of channel here. But if you have any questions, please leave them below and I'll get back to you. But otherwise, thanks guys.